not winning 90% of your new business because you have some sort of incredible value. I'm gonna take a bit of a different angle. You know, I've got a budget this big. I'm gonna give it to you because you have a, a really killer plan. You give a Red Bull to a turtle, what do you expect? <laughs> I think that's a dead turtle. <laughs> so let's move on to... Uh, Be break. Cheers. 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 Does your current premium finance company lock you into long-term agreements? That's because they don't want you talking to us. At IFS, we win your business the good old-fashioned way, with customer service. I know you don't always have to use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should use IFS. Cheers. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Digital Insurance Point Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tom Reed, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Adam Mitchell, CEO of Mitch Insurance. Hello. Steve Earle, CEO of Chief Insurance. Good day. And Jeff Roy, CEO of Excalibur Insurance. Welcome, everybody. Hi. And just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors, IFS Premium Finance, and our charity partner, the Excalibur Read to Ride program, coming to your neighborhood any day now. So um, today's episode is about aggregators. What's an aggregator? What do they do? Who are they in business for? Uh, who are they in business with, I should say? Um, how are they, you know, how are they important in the landscape? How do they interact with carriers and brokers and consumers and so on? And uh, we're going to um, chat through that topic and see if we can shed some light into this particular corner of the insurance landscape. So, um, who wants to take a crack at what is an aggregator? I mean, Google, in a sense, is an aggregator, right? Like it's it's taking the the piece, but I mean, in the real world, in our side, it's a website that has commanded a bunch of traffic or hijacked a bunch of traffic. Um, sent them through the Fortis rating engine via applied, uh, spit out the Harry Potter sorting hat as to which price is the best price for that consumer for auto insurance is 98% of that traffic. And then they sell that client's prospects data to a broker or a direct writer to try and convert to an insurance policy. So it's like an outsourced marketing team for brokers or, you know, retailers. Yeah. So we, um, a couple of years back, we had um, Justin Tuane from Lois, then from Lois Rates. And, you know, I guess my takeaway from that conversation was that these aggregators essentially are really, really good SEO shops that specialize in insurance lead generation, right? They, you know, there's 2000 brokers in the country. There's only plus you know, X number of direct writers. Uh, and there's only you know eight to ten spots on the first page of Google. And we all know we've talked about this before that insurance is probably the most competitive keyword um, on the internet, right? So so these aggregators have you know there there's a niche there. There's lots of people looking for insurance, specifically you know a lot of times it's car insurance, and they've found a way by being really 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 good at SEO um, to get those top spots when somebody's googling car insurance or you know some variation thereof. I would add one more thing, Tom. You've got the aggregators that sell to third parties only, 
And you have the aggregators that sell to third parties and also to the broker arm that they own to themselves. You kind of have the two tier. Now, most of them, I think, have a broker division. So I would differentiate ones that generate third party leads exclusively for profit to make money and the other ones that do that to make money and also build their own brokerage side of the business. I think there's been different evolutions over time, but where we currently sit, it's 90% of the volume is by an aggregator that owns a broker or a broker that owns an aggregator. And sometimes that broker is decentralized, but uh, I thought ClickAssure had some affiliation, but it's it's mostly out of Quebec, I don't know. Um, the My Choice guys, they came out of Kinetics and I think they were, they took marketing skills and ramped that up. I don't think, they might have uh, allegiances or strategic deals with certain brokers, but I don't think they have any brokering. Adam, you brought up Kinetics, and to my recollection, Kinetics is kind of the OG aggregator, yeah. right? So, um, well, and maybe, I, maybe I'll... I, I, now we can test some brains. I, I think the very first one was Insurance Hotline, which was Lee Romanoff Lee, something like that. Uh, and, and she did it out of newspaper ads. So she went old school classified in and then would sell the list over to Steve of here's the people that responded to my newspaper ad. Go ahead and call them. True. That was uh, that was analog analog aggregators. Uh-huh. I was thinking more of the uh, digital ones. Yeah. yeah. Lee Romanoff. I was thinking more of the digital ones, but you're right. Insurance hotline was uh, you know a literal phone number. And then Kinetics bought it, so Kinetics got big into the online space and started ramping up a lot of traffic and got early on the SEO game. Um, ended up buying Insurance Hotline. Um, ran those as two brands, and one sold into brokers, the other sold into directs and they had a broker on the side, they would consume some of the leads. So we've got in the market today, correct me if I'm wrong, we've got rates.ca, which owns a number of brands, including lowest rates and I think Kinetics too now, right? Well, if you want to, if you want to go through the fun history, because I was at the table for the rates.ca purchase. That was owned by uh, a magazine blog company. I don't know how you describe them, but they had a number of different brands and they wanted that one off of their sheet as they were prepping the company to sale. So originally, uh, Andrew Lowe was was head of Kinetics and bought Rates.ca, and it was 250 grand. A- and I was so small and unsophisticated and could not get out of my own way from tripping and, you know, a whole due diligence sheet and whatnot. And I, I think he pulled it out from change between his couch cushions and said, I'll take it. And we were gone. So he had it. And that thing just started paying for itself on day one. It, it started generating some leads. And that became the parent company when... Egel came over, um, well, Teacher's Pension Plan bought all of Kinetic's insurance hotline, uh, some of Egel's assets, bundled that in, and they rebranded the entire empire or thing as rates.ca, I presume because they liked the name better. And so, so you've got rates.ca, which is probably the big fish uh, in the pond. Uh, Rate Hub, relatively new entrant. You've got um, um, ClickAssure in Quebec. I want to tease apart the relatively new entrant because... Um, we talked a bit about J- J- Justin, he, great entrepreneur, uh, did some really cool things in our space and, and has since exited. Um, he went to school actually at Queens with Alyssa, uh, who was the founder of RateHub. And Justin went hard into uh, insurance and the finance on that side. And Alyssa and RateHub went deep onto mortgages. And they both kind of reached dominance in their particular spaces, reaching the top of the mountain. Um, so RateHub is new into insurance or one of the newer players, maybe second newest now. And, but they were already really good at SEO, SEM, conversion, like everything you needed for that. 
Well, and just and back up a second, insurance hotline. Like I think I might have got my first lead in two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. Does that sound about right? Uh, I'm pre I'm predating the digital age, but I think we bought our first lead. They might have been ten or twelve dollars at that point. Uh, you know, and back then, you know, if you called somebody back in a week, you're a hero. The way the insurance chain, nobody understood digital marketing, nobody understood the consumer. They didn't have best practices. But hey, if you could pay ten dollars for a lead, that was a good deal. I will point out the insurance uh, hotline people did really well because they were in all the newspapers. They were able to build kick-ass links to outrank everybody because of all that paper connection. And they did a really crazy job of doing that. So they ranked and they played the SEO game at a level nobody else did before anybody else did. And I think that's to go back and kind of predate that. Well, Toronto Star kept a holding. So they never sold all of it. Toronto Star stayed a minority shareholder. So there was an interest in having the insurance hotline link at the bottom of every Toronto Star article, which is in that day, a, a really legitimate um, backlink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they were kind of the first ones to probably get traffic at scale in the insurance marketplace at that kind of level right now. Nobody knew really how to convert that well back then because most people would see a number and dial it when get a quote or fill an email out. But they were kind of the first ones to figure that out at scale, I think, in Canada. I, I remember uh, you know, one of my early mentors, um, Derek, um, was onto that very early and he talked about he said you had a really good advantage in those early days the people that were browsing and had the internet and web savviness and laptops well those were those were professionals and he's like there was a really high quality and and then he he was noting two things happened over time is the quality really went downhill as computers and internet became mainstream and then they started to feel like yo-yo leads where you weren't buying prospects you were renting a client and that client would be pulled back into the engine in some time. Well, we have this list of names because we try to come up with who still exists, who are the aggregators still there. And for years and years and years, I heard about this. We, we can't become the UK. Aggregators took over the landscape and, and the world went to shit in insurance in the UK because aggregators destroyed everything. So is this list bigger or smaller than it was a decade ago? Well, the list list of names is definitely smaller. Well, yes and no. The, the, the list of brands is bigger. The list of owners is smaller. Right. There's, there's been consolidation in that market, right? The, right? I mean, maybe some brands have been retired, but definitely a lot of those brands are around. But the list of you know, key ownership groups is much, much smaller than it used to be. So, yeah. And I just wanted to raise, like, the question is, are there more of them? Is there more traffic being delivered? Is more insurance being sold today than, say, five, six years ago or even... 10 years ago, they they sort of showed up. But is more insurance being sold today through aggregators than was five or six years ago? That's a good question. And I, I'm, not, I'm not sure we would you could actually answer that because you know, these are all privately held organizations. Are the fears real, I guess? Relative UK? Well, no way. No, no way. Right? The, the UK, I mean, it went, it went through a massive changeover where brokers, the regular brokers had a significant part of the market share, you know, and that, that went through the floor. Um, it's come back a little bit, but aggregators, and there's four of them in the UK, four big ones, or there was last time I looked at it, um, you know, they, they essentially dominate the personal insurance market in the UK. So here's a five-year trend line of, of auto insurance. So the blue line is auto insurance, and it's a relative line, so it's zero to 100. The, the peak, peak internet search traffic for that over a five-year period was right after COVID popped. Everybody trying to rejuggle their policies. This is this is spring 2020. We're we're at uh, the same volume of traffic as five years ago. You want to know why this is like a more expensive game to play and one one aggregator keeps buying the other ones is because there's more people fighting over the exact same amount of pie. 
there's more being remarketed and turned around, but it's not there's not a net more. And you've got Uber big brokers and bigger organizations with bigger pocketbooks getting into that along with direct companies, right? Like what does Bel Air spend and Sonnet spend buying AdWords to drive that up? Aviva Direct didn't exist, right? And now they're a player yeah, consuming yeah. some and, and they're fighting over Every little micro broker has a site. Like we did it through our M&A series where the guys were saying, it's now table stakes. Like you have to have a website. You have to have some lead generation. You have to have some forward momentum. We just assume that that's a given. Nobody answered my question. Is more insurance being sold? That, I, that was my attempted answer. Is like that's an objective view from Google, self-declared of their traffic of all of Canada. Google would tell you no. There is there is not more traffic um, going through any amount of the websites if we assume that they are the guardian of like the funnel. Good answer, I guess. I still don't. So it's 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 all just shifting around. Like this is like the thing I started on showing you before of like if immigration's growing at three percent. Right. And there are a certain amount of people dying off and others like you're probably at best just like holding level for the amount of insurance consumers. I get that, Adam. But now as my website, your website, the the broker down the street, we're all getting more traction. Are we taking away from what the aggregators once had? Is is their piece of that pie been diminished? I guess that's I'm guessing, but I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, because you have, you know. 3,000 ankle biters around that like before that didn't have any teeth or any ability to do anything. Now that everybody's got a little Google local domain thing, each of that just has a little drip bite line out of it. And Google really likes to support this local business angle, right? Like it's, it's no accident that the first three or four after ads is your Google local map search. And if you're an aggregator, you can't hack that. So Mr. Business Smarty Pants, Adam Mitchell, Given the, the same opportunity to get into having ownership in an aggregator today, would, would you do it? Um, it's a growing business in Canada. No. Would you take the No, it's not a growing business. Yeah, so I think that's where my head is stuck is like, well, what's the price? $200 million? No, I'm not doing it. Like, you will forever be bled dry, and I don't see how you turn that around. I just want to jump in quickly here. You mentioned about is more insurance sold. I'm just looking at my uh, Uber Suggest dashboard here. Rates.ca says they guess they're getting 618,000 visitors a year. Lowest rates, 364,000. Uh, Rate Hub, $2.7 uh, and uh, kind of gives you an idea. I don't have them all listed, but you start doing the math, you know, your, your conversion. I'm not sure what you guys are converting at for visitors, but we, for every 15 to 17 visitors per 100, we'll get somebody putting their hand up to get a quote. So I'm not sure if their numbers are quite that high or they're higher. You start doing the math based on the, that traffic. You can, you can probably reverse engineer roughly how many quotes you're getting. Getting somebody's sales close ratio will be interesting because is it pure close ratio? So if you get 100 leads. Here's the story that I think, I think those ones are there, but where Steve asked about, are they getting more or less? Because what wasn't here five or 10 years ago uh, is Surex, 25,000 a month. Think Insure, 123,000 a month. Uh, who else is going to be big on here? Uh, my choice, like new player to the category that they're stealing from a fixed pot, 28,000 a month. Uh, we're going to be 30, 40,000 a month. Western didn't have a web presence, 30,000. And those all things used to all go to kinetics, right? And, and for an early point of time, it was kinetics and lowest rates and they divided it all. And then rate hub and, and so on. Some others came out. Let's cut to the chase here. Are aggregators good or bad for brokers, right? Is having lowest rates, rate hub, you know, the new one in Quebec to Mano, um, et cetera, is this good? or bad for brokers. And I'll, I'll lay, out, lay out a bit of the case, right? So so to me, on the plus side, 
as a broker, you can, this, these, these guys are very, very good SEO shops. They can guarantee you X number of leads per month. You can right size your team. You can you know, match the number of leads to your team, right? It's, it's for a fixed price, more or less. You can um, get exactly or more or less exactly the number of leads your team can handle, right? Awesome. On the downside, you know, it's not cheap. Um, are they taking away uh, from the finite pie that you would have otherwise been able to get, you know, on your own? Um, so I, I see some good or bad. I'm interested in knowing what you guys uh, are thinking about. Stevie, I've been having a hard time getting an edge. edgewise. Why don't you go first? Well, I think that it depends on your business model, who you are and where you're at on, on a journey. Uh, are you a startup? Are you hungry? You know, will you write anything with a pulse? Um, you know, I had a startup six years ago and, and, and we needed leads. So we bought them when we, when we could stand on our own two feet, uh, we got off that crack and stopped buying leads because we could generate them ourselves. So that's, that's part of it. But I think it's for any broker, you really have to have, you have to be dialed in on what your number one, your close ratio is on these leads compared to the other, uh, leads that you're generating and what your cost of acquisition is when you calculate it and what you're paying for them and how long they're sticking around. What is the lifetime value of that customer? And you got to compare that to everything else. So it's you, you have to be really, really on your game with respect to your metrics and understanding what it is that you're buying. Because, I mean, generating activity can be great, but um, is it long-term profitable? So you used to buy aggregated leads, but you do not anymore. Yeah, when they first okay. started, when, you know, yeah. We had two two salespeople and website was on page nine as brand new. You needed activity. You you gotta pay the bills yeah. and you gotta keep people busy. But once okay. we began to creep up, then we could we could dial it back less and less. There's also this seasonality of things too. Maybe it's really slow in the winter months, we'll buy some leads to keep people busy and then we'll we'll back right. off in other times. So right. it, to me, it can be used as a tool in your business and depending upon what your business model is. Yeah. Okay. Jeff? Yeah, I guess we started, uh, you know, buying leads way back. I said, in 2008 to play around with it, to experiment. We didn't have a process nailed down. We did buy them off and on for a number of years. You know, our goal was to be able to build our own engine to drive our own leads. I think inevitably every organization wants to build their or their own marketing to drive their own leads and have control over things. Do we still buy aggregated leads? Yes, we buy a small amount right now. Uh, sometimes aggregators can also find leads in an area you can't. And one of our challenges has been property insurance. Uh, there's a lot of people shopping for home or auto insurance. And Adam, if you pulled the numbers up, the people searching for auto versus property, drastic difference. And uh, people seem to be a lot more adverse on price on auto insurance than on their home. And obviously it's probably proportional that your house is worth a million dollars on average now, let's say in the GTA. So if your price goes up 10%, are you as concerned versus your car insurance, it goes up five or 6%. It seems to be people are more apt to shop their auto insurance and there's more traffic out there, more fish in the sea to bring in on the auto insurance equation. So if there's certain lines of business you can buy, you know, there's life insurance leads you can buy, you can buy commercial leads from certain people. I haven't looked into it, but there's different people you can buy leads from. And again, you can hire an SEO company to develop the leads for you or other other ways. Like the ones we've listed here, there's other ways to drive leads and begin into marketing. It gets into a deeper thought is, you know, how are you driving business into your brokerage? What are the tools you're using? And if your only tool is an aggregator and your only marketing is one, it's very, you know, if something happens with that aggregator, that market, where are you going to be as, a, as an owner? So those are some things to think about just to kind of add on to what Steve said. Um, Adam. Uh, yes, we have bought them in the past. No, we're not still doing it. Um, 
I have, I have a bit of a long tirade on this one. Uh, I think the opening line would be net net. They're they're bad. They're bad for brokers, bad for uh, markets, and they're bad for uh, direct writers. And I'll, I'll unpack it a bit. So we we stopped buying leads in 2014. Uh, Steve called it crack. I'll, I'll call it a steroid. Um, I think it's really good. Um, l- l- whenever you are starting a business, a team, a project, outsource as much as you can. Get as many things stabilized on variable cost. And by outsourcing your marketing team uh, to one of these aggregators, you can take away all the variables on, am I good at SEO, SEM, partnerships, whatever. It doesn't matter. They've done all that work and you can just get the net cost of, I think it's now 45 bucks a lead. Um, but in the meantime, you can focus 100% of your attention finding good people, good brokers, good markets, good tech to be able to convert it. And then one day, hopefully, you can go back and vertically integrate and bring the other marketing talents in-house. Um, so we started that journey of bringing it in 2014 and, and haven't really gone back. When we we didn't do this in a heads-up way, we didn't, as in we didn't know it was coming, but when we quit um, buying leads, our retention the next year jumped 10 points. Bingo. And I have I have some hypothesis on why. I don't know that we'll ever know why. I now view aggregators as Amazon. And I think more and more things will continue to retail online and we as distribution retail insurance. So when a consumer is going online and has to sort through a number of different options and star ratings and things, that's the role that either the broker or the aggregator plays. And if it's the broker that plays it, and we'll say Steve and Bald Insurance, they attribute the value to Bald and that brand for helping him figure it out. If Steve gets the lead after lowest rates or rates.ca has done all the helping and sorting and basically funneling them through CompuQuote, then the loyalty is to that brand because that's the brand that helped them find the solution after Google gave them the traffic. All Steve is, is the Amazon delivery driver. And we all get Amazon packages all day long, you know, at least multiple times a week, whatever it is. Like, you don't know, unless you're a real small town, it's the one stable person, like, we're in a decently populated, I have no idea what the truck is, the company, the delivery driver. It's just, so I really don't want our brand and our brokerage or the insurance company to be distilled down or diminished to, you're just the one delivering the package. The one that actually delivered the value to the customer was the one that helped them figure out this complicated angle. And so I really dislike how that undermines, uh, I think it's bad for markets on profitability and for brokers. On markets for profitability, if we assume that these are being FISRA regulated entities and that they are quoting through 100% of their quotable markets, the only time that you're going to get placed with that market is on the absolute cheapest. No, no value, no angle, no geographic, no other loyalty. You're just commoditized down to the price, which is the UK problem. For brokers, it gets a little worse because we already know you have bad retention on these things because they you're renting the lead and it never actually stays. Um, you're only going to get to write the thing because you don't get to come into the pitch until they've already qualified you as the lowest possible price. So that means not only have they been rate compared against your markets you have, it's been rate compared against every market you don't have. So then it's going to get placed with the the weakest part or the most competitive, whichever you want to describe it, of your partners, your insurance company's uh, rating algorithm. So I, 
back to the top of like, go ahead, get started with it, but again, get busy working really hard to get off it as fast as you can. And I think that should go for markets. I think that should go for uh, brokers. Um, they, they deliver value, but it's, it's just value because here's the other one. You're going to start building a war chest off to an army that's way friggin' better at all of this than you are. So how are you ever going to catch up if you don't start investing in yourself? And I'd rather spend five or 10 more dollars per lead self-generated where all you have seen is my brand the entire time on my value prop, uh, then get a discounted one to somebody so they can race that horse a little further ahead of us. I think we need to define why we keep saying a rented lead too, because not everybody may or may not understand that, you know, you're like Adam said, you're the Amazon delivery driver, but you're purchasing, you're purchasing a, a customer who's been conditioned to this already. And the, the aggregator is going to come back after them, even after you write them both directly and indirectly, like even indirectly on, on an ad, just a billboard there. And somebody looks fondly of like, Oh yeah, I remember that. I went there yeah. and they helped me save a few bucks. I, I would suggest, I would kind of push back on the Amazon driver. You know, it's not, we're, we get a little more higher value in the chain than being an Amazon driver. Even though you get the lead, you still need to have a process. And this is where if you get a good process at your brokerage to get a hold of the client, rate build up rapport, go over coverages, make it just not about price, even though a lot of Let people me. it is price. But you have a chance to dance. You have a chance to dance and get your brand out front. You have a chance to close them. You have a chance to onboard them. You have a chance to get them in love with your brand. You've got a year generally to do that before they go back yeah. to the other party for those people doing it. Most people aren't doing that, mind you. But And again, some contracts, they're allowed to remarket other ones they aren't so you have to look at the devils no, in the details uh, right no. and each now now whether they're still doing it and people are they did it once they'll remember a year later a lot of people don't remember what site they're on five minutes ago so the chance of them going back and finding the same site doing it isn't quite as high but you obviously run the risk right there and, and you haven't done your job as a broker i think i agree with you that there's a chance and my whole argument is like why even allow that chance right like yeah. I, I have to play tug of war on day one with like what you thought of that was that good when, when I think of my client journey lifecycle and clients like, hey, fuck, I got my renewal. This thing is painful. I go on to Google and be like, how do I get a not painful insurance rate? I spend 15 minutes on uh, lowest rates, filling it out and answering their questions on a pretty slickly designed site that works well on all my devices. And then I get to one of Jeff's salespeople and you have a pretty strong brand and angle. You hope that gets delivered by your salesperson. They're going to walk them through most of the same questions, filling out the same OAP one, like, Best case scenario, I fall in love with the journey. Worst case scenario, I'm real tired and aggravated that you're asking me all the same questions. The website, like, guessed and pre-filled. So, Adam, you, you raised a, a really interesting point um, about why it's bad for brokers and for carriers uh, in the sense that um, it, it drives price down, right? Because most consum many, many consumers, I don't know about most, but, but a lot of a significant percentage of consumers don't see insurance as anything other than a commodity. Right, and brokers, part of the broker's job is to convince them that there is value in the policy. You know, more value for you with this company or this that company or with this package or that package or whatever. But even so, still a lot of consumers see it as a commodity. So when you are, as you said, when you're presented with a bunch of prices, which may or may not be markets that you deal with, the rational person says, well, "What's the cheapest one?" Right? At the end of the day, these are all the same to me because they are literally a commodity. I'm going to go with the cheapest one. Super rational. I would argue that, um, and so I totally get it why it's bad for carriers. Right? There's 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 a bit of friction built in by that by uh by a difficulty to access pricing most people don't even know what the price for their insurance policy is it's super complicated it's super opaque there's a benefit to the carriers 
to have that built in. But I would say that's actually quite a negative thing from a consumer perspective, right? Like we've talked about this before. When you're when you when you get your quote on a policy at, at the end of the process, it's a different number. That's very aggravating. No other industry does that, right? Well, yes, yes and no. Like if you go into a true retail shop and I go into a Radio Shack and I see I pick up this you know speaker and I have it, I may or may not know this is the best price. And if I could aggregate all of the internet and see the, all the prices and everybody who's up to date, it probably isn't. So there's a little bit of margin built in for the person to be able to consume that thing. And that, that's sort of standard business. Well, and, and then there's the, the whole bait and switch part on behalf of the consumer, which, which we got a lot of complaints about too. So you go back to your car analogy, Adam, like you can go online and get a price for the car. They refer you over to the dealership and then the dealership says, oh, okay, well, that is the price, but you're going to want car mats, right? And you're going to want a steering wheel. And you do need, I mean, that's 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 the base model. Um, you know, if you want this, that, and the other, and these are all things that you should have because you've told me what you're going to use this car for. Uh, it doesn't come with roof racks. Uh, it's actually a four-cylinder, not a six. All these sort of things. And then they end up paying more, right? Compared to the dealerships is a flattering, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't, wouldn't call it a flattering um, comparison. No, what I'm saying, you understand what I'm saying. So they, totally. they, they get a price and they go, oh yeah, yeah. And, and we got the calls all the time. It's like, I'll take that $900 policy. The, the only problem I have with that is where, um, I, I actually think that like the brokers that are aggregators on mass are worthy competitors, right? So putting that part forward of like, if you vertically integrate this thing and you fully consume it, now you're just a pretty sophisticated broker that's doing some good marketing. I have a problem with uh, the aggregators that will skim off the top and write all the desirables and sell the undesirables. I, uh, I don't like the yo-yoing of the leads. I don't like some of the manipulation of at midnight, I get one price and at uh, 8 a.m. I get a different price. Um, but to the consumer, to like Tom's point, like, yeah, there's value there. And I'm equally gonna say, that's the value at a lot of the expense of a lot of brokers and a lot of insurance companies. Right, so like it, there's, it's a bit of a complicated beast, but I don't think insurance companies are better off or brokers are better off for supporting these very worthy adversaries. Well, I mean, in a regulated product as well, you get into, I mean, I, I don't think there's an insurance company in the land that'll tell us that they want to be the cheapest all of the time. Listen, who, who's um, the smartest insurance right? company? So, who's the smartest, best run every year, most profit? Okay, by far. Right. And and why do you think they accidentally pulled off insurance uh, insurance aggregators? Look, if, 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 if you can't get the rate that you believe that you need because the government is telling you you can't have it, then you don't. And, and you're forced into a position where, I mean, there's lots of times when insurers might be number one or number two on an aggregator site. Uh, but you know what? They they don't want the business right now because they they're unprofitable and they can't get to where they need well, to be, but they're forced. Go, go to the sports analogy. Like when, when you have an injured all-star, you don't talk about his injury, her injury. Like, like somebody's got a bum knee. You don't talk about it. Cause like that's, that's where the opponent's going after. Right. And so if you are, if you are weak in statistics, the rate, whatever your angle is, don't put it on the front page of the globe mail. And, and what are you doing with this thing? You're putting it on the front page of the Globe Mail that also then keeps churning. And every year they get more money and a bigger stick to stir the pot faster. So kind of our hypothesis, guys, is that the aggregators definitely had a you know, very solid, quick rise. There's some consolidation. It seems to have um, flattened out a little bit. So let's, let's talk a bit about the future and where do we see 
that aggregator model going in the future? And uh, Steve, I'll start with you. I don't see it increasing. I, I don't see them retaking if, if they've lost or they've flatlined um, because they've, they have more and more competition on an almost daily basis from uh, the, those that are in the marketplace are becoming more astute. I mean, there's less brokers, obviously, but the ones, the ones that are engaged are engaging well, and they're taking a little piece of that pie. I mean, Adam showed us some numbers there with respect to that pie is only a certain size, uh, and it's pretty continuous with the exception of COVID. So um, I think that brokers have done a good job here at, 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 at bringing back um, direct-to-consumer funneling of leads. My take. I don't see a ton of change. Uh, you know, I think it's going to get more difficult. The price are going to go up. They're probably still going to be the same people using them. Now, will one of the big aggregators get sold to a different entity? Yeah. You know, would, would a company that's $5 billion decide to buy an aggregator and, and embed it? You know, maybe that might happen. Maybe not. Hard to say. Uh, that's a scenario where somebody could be wanting to get rid of it, get some cash, and they don't think the future is great for it. Who knows, right? But uh, the market's been around since probably the mid early 2000s, hasn't gone away. You know, you mentioned there's still the same number of players, just less owners. Uh, there's still obviously the people are making money in the market or they would have left. But, you know, the only risk is our more consumer is going to push go off the platform and there's nobody left. And if you have nobody left in the platform, you have no product that could be a watch out. But uh, I'm assuming if that ever happened, they would just sell off and embed it into a big company. That's my thoughts. Cool. Thanks, Jeff. All right, Adam, uh, we'll close with you. What's your, what's your take on the future of the aggregators? I, I think we're past peak aggregator. Um, I think it's pretty telling when you have intact as one of the biggest markets out there pulling off of that um, marketplace and saying, Hey, we don't want to, be party to what was caused over in the UK. So they, they bought a big asset over in the UK, went over there, saw the mess and pretty quickly turned around and said, oh, we got to stop that piece and pulled it out of here. Um, while Manisa's pulled off, uh, Travelers has pulled off or on. I don't know where they are currently. Um, I, I think there's a lot more sophisticated B players. So they used to be very dominant A players and there was three on the top that controlled the entire marketplace. And in the UK 15, maybe 20 years ago, keep saying 10, but I think I've been telling that story for 10 or 15 years. Um, there's a few big players that ran away with it and controlled the market and everything flowed through there. And you had to pay that toll pass to have it because they got so big with so much capital and the marketplace um, regulations allowed them to. Um, our marketplace regulations were different and there was a more even distribution of sophistication. There was a couple loud players, but a couple of those loud players hit pretty big speed bumps along the way. Um, and some competition arose. And now there's a lot of brokers today that are as big or strong as Insurance Hotline was 10 years ago, um, or maybe even less, but it's around there. So it's it's a different marketplace over here. And so my, my bold prediction, if it was, is that there'll be dominant brokers, uh, not, not aggregators. We'll wrap it up on that note. Thanks, guys. And thanks to IFS Premium Finance for your sponsorship. Uh, very much appreciated. And the Artie and the Good Night are is now out on Amazon as part of the uh, Read to Ride program. So, uh, so go check it out. Thanks so much, guys. Is retention important to your brokerage? Of course it is. That's why at IFS, we have a cancellation prevention process. Want more details? Give us a call. I know you don't always use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should use IFS. Cheers.